This morning we'll take our text, also from the 13th chapter of Matthew. We'll read Matthew 13, verses 37 through 43. He answered and said unto them, He that soweth the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, the good seed are the children of the kingdom, but the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy that sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of his kingdom all things that offend, and them which do iniquity, and shall cast them into a furnace of fire. There shall be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their Father, who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus often spoke in parables. He taught by way of comparison. And again, we see the Lord doing that here. A parable we know is a earthly story with a heavenly meaning. And often the Lord would teach in parables to try to bring kingdom truths down to a level where even people could understand. But occasionally, even as disciples misunderstood. So here we see Jesus later explaining the parable of the wheat and the tares. Our scripture reading was the giving of the parable. The text I just read was Christ explaining that to his disciples. Of course, we know it tells us that Jesus in this parable is the sower. He's the one who sows good seed. He's incapable of sowing anything else but good seed. The field in this parable is the world. The good seed, it tells us, are the children of the kingdom or are represented by the wheat. Those are the true converts. The children of God or those who have been regenerated and born again are the children of the kingdom. Let's us know, too, that the Lord plants them throughout the entire world. It tells us that the tares are the children of the wicked one. We can tell by this parable that everywhere Jesus plants good seed, the enemy will come along and will try to plant a bad seed or a counterfeit for every genuine convert. It seems like Satan will come along and he will try to plant right next to it a counterfeit. The purpose of the tares is to distract or to deceive, to diminish the crop or to divide. And we know again, according to that parable, that even the Lord, knowing this, he allows them to grow together until the end of time. The enemy that sows the bad seed or the tares is the devil. Satan also has children or a family. These are represented again by the, the tares or the children of the wicked one. Of course, we know the harvest time is that time of final separation or the end of this world or the end of the age. It tells us that the reapers will be the angels. And verse 41 through 43 lets us know of the fate of the wicked as well as the reward of the righteous. Quite a stark contrast between the two. And of course we know that harvest is judgment time. It's that time of final separation. But the Word of God also lets us know that that 
Harvest time is drawing very close. It's soon at hand. We read about the time that will be just before harvest time, and God's Word gives us some indications of what things will look like right before that occurs in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. It says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. As you read through that chapter, you read about all the things that will unfold right before the end of the age or the coming of the Lord. And as you read those descriptions, you realize it's like watching the headlines on a news daily news broadcast. These things are unfolding before our very eyes. We don't have time to read all of them, but take a look at verse 13. It says, one of those things that will happen, it says, evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. The purpose of a terror is to deceive. It's a counterfeit. You know, at first, tares, when they're planted alongside that wheat, they're almost the perfect counterfeit. They're indistinguishable from the wheat. But as those tares begin to grow and produce fruit, it's then that the difference becomes more apparent. But the warning is we want to beware of the tares. What do we do when we spot a tear? We realize we're surrounded by them, and the Bible tells us that we will be. They will be planted alongside us. They'll be allowed to grow along with us. Well, it also tells us, continuing in 2 Timothy verse 14 and 15, it says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. So it's continue in the things that you've learned and you've heard and you've read. Continue in God's word. Beware of the terrors. It also lets us know and warns us, I believe, even in this parable, we don't want to be distracted by the tares. You know, the enemy sowed tares as a diversionary tactic. He realized if he could get the owner of the field to focus on the tares, that the wheat crop would be neglected. Of course, we know in that parable, the owner of the field is Jesus. He's not distracted. He's not intimidated. He's not deceived or fooled by the tactics of the enemies really nonplussed when these things begin to happen. He's aware of them. But it seems in this parable that the ones that were distracted were the servants or the workers. They noticed that these things had sprung up here in the field, and, of course, their first impulse was to go and yank them up. And they asked the Lord or the owner of the field, he said, what do you want us to do? You want us to pull those things up? Well, sometimes... In our zeal and our haste to purge the field, we could do more damage than good. So the Lord was warning him there in verse 29 and 30. He said, No, lest ye gather up the tares, ye root up also the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And in the time of harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. 
The Lord here was warning His servants not to be too hasty to take matters into their own hands. You know, we have a little dog named Lucy. She's a Boston Terrier. And most of the time, I think she aims to please. She tries to please us. And occasionally, my wife and I will be out in the backyard and we'll be weeding the flower beds. And so she'll help us out. And actually, sometimes she's, she does pretty good. She'll spot a weed and she'll grab it with her mouth and pull it out or she'll dig it out. Only problem is sometimes she's a little overzealous and she doesn't have a lot of discernment. And pretty soon she'll be pulling up plants and flowers, vegetables, herbs, things we want to save and keep. So she doesn't, uh, she wants to help, but she gets a little carried away sometimes. Well, the Lord is warning his servants here, be patient, be careful, wait. You know, the Lord is perfectly able to tend to his own garden. He's able to remove what doesn't belong there, and he's able to care and nurture for what does. So really, we want to admonish or take take this admonition and, and be patient and wait. The Lord will sort all these things out. This peril in no way, this parable in no way is minimizing the importance of church discipline. You know, Scripture teaches very clearly about that as well. It must be maintained. Discipline must be maintained. The law of God must be upheld. And even the doctrine of discipline is taught by Jesus further on in Matthew chapter 18. Of course, the objective of discipline is to try to restore the erring brother or the one that's uh, offended and there's biblical steps to follow that process and Sometimes if they refuse to yield or submit, then they'll exclude themselves from fellowship. But that's, that's not what this parable is talking about here. The Lord here is to warning us to be patient. Don't act as self-appointed judges. The Lord will take care of the tares. Our job is to focus on the Lord of the harvest. You know, it's apparent too that the anger of the servants in this parable was directed at the tares rather than at the one who sowed them. You know, it's easy sometimes to lose sight of who the real enemy is. It doesn't say once that the enemy was the tares. The enemy is the devil that sows the tares. The tares are just those unfortunate souls who allow themselves to be used of the devil. But that's not the real enemy. The real enemy is the devil. I think if we can get sight of that, we won't be so distracted by the tares. You know, they say the best counterfeit is the one that looks the most real. Again, when those tares are planted alongside the wheat, it's an almost perfect counterfeit. Uh, They're unrecognizable until they begin to bear fruit. Well, the Lord also in His Word warns us about some counterfeits that will come in the last days, right before the time of harvest. Jesus warned about another Jesus. In God's Word, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 4, Paul says here, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. 
Paul's biggest concern here wasn't about the false prophets and the false Christ, but the fact that the church in Corinth would be so gullible that they might actually follow. So he was warning them, beware of those tares, those false Christs. You know, there are many tares today who preach a false Jesus. They might even come to your door. Sometimes they travel in pairs. Sometimes they may show up as a small family and they they may look very wholesome. They may appear to be very uh, sincere. And in fact, they are sincere. But the sad thing is they're sincerely wrong. They're being deceived. They're deceiving, but being deceived. And as you, they'll tell you they believe in Jesus. And as you begin to talk to them about Jesus, you find out what it is they believe in Jesus. And you realize the Jesus they're preaching is much different than the Jesus of the Bible. Even in some charismatic circles now, there's this popular idea that, and they'll rest the scripture, they'll say, well, when Christ emptied himself, they'll teach that when Jesus came to earth, he completely gave up his divinity and he was 100% human. But he was a man in right relationship with God, and because of that right relationship and that faith, he was able to do all these things. And they'll tell you, you know, if you have that right kind of faith, you can be just like Jesus. You can do the things. Jesus did, and they'll even go as far as to say is that Jesus needed to be born again. That's blasphemous. That's heretical. That is not the Jesus of the Bible. Any Jesus that isn't divine, any Jesus that needs to be born again is certainly not the Jesus that we want to follow or worship. But there are false Christs out there. Of course, that leads to false spirits. John 4, 1 John 4, verse 1 through 3 says, Believe not every spirit. Try them to see whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Many people will claim to have had a spiritual experience. But if that experience doesn't line up to God's word, it's a false spirit. It's a false experience. Of course, if you believe in a false Christ, you're going to be led by a false spirit. I spoke to a man just a couple of years ago. And without me asking any questions, he began to tell me that he had been born and raised in a church that taught that divorce and remarriage was wrong. And he had believed that for many years. And he'd gotten married and his marriage fell apart for so two and a half years. He said he was praying about it and searching the scriptures. And one day the Lord just showed him it was okay to get married again. And he said the Lord stamped his approval on it because he said, as I was praying, I began to speak in tongues. And he said, and every time I pray now, I speak in tongues. Well, you know what? He had a false spirit. The man was deceived, sadly, tragically. We want to be aware of those false spirits. Of course, we know that leads to a false gospel. Paul, in addressing the Galatians, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. That word pervert means to cause to turn aside or away from what is good or true or morally right. It means to corrupt. That's the trick of the tear is to corrupt. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. 
And he repeats that warning again. We want to be aware of those false gospels. You know, a false gospel is any gospel that would make an allowance for sin in a man's life. That is a false gospel. Jesus' word says you must be born again. If you're born of God, you do not commit sin. There's a lot of false gospels out there that say you can go ahead and sin and still be a Christian. That's not what the word of God says. Any gospel that denies Christ is the only way to salvation is a false gospel. Any gospel that would deify man and elevate him to the same level of Christ is a false gospel. And any gospel that adds to or takes away from the word of God is a false gospel. Any gospel that would rest the scripture to try to change it, make it say something that it doesn't, is a false gospel. The best way to spot a counterfeit is to study and familiarize yourself with what is true. We need to study God's Word, get it in our hearts, apply it to our eyes, know what it says. We want to avoid being deceived by a false gospel. Of course, we know that leads to false prophets and apostles, false ministers. For such, as, for such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel... For Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. No great marvel, the devil himself can appear as an angel of light. We must know the difference. We want to spot those tares. You know, one person once said, A counterfeit bill can do a lot of good. It can purchase clothes for the poor. It can feed the hungry. It can buy gas for a car. It can house the homeless. It can fight abortion. It can do all of these things, but it will never pass the inspection of the bank examiner. There's a lot of groups out there that are doing a lot of good. Some would even tell you, well, you can't argue with results. But you know, Christ says otherwise. Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. The Lord says, I never knew you. He says, the ones that will inherit the kingdom of heaven are the children of the kingdom, those that will do the will of the Father. What is the will of the Lord? Again, the parable explains it. It's God's will to plant us, to transform us into children of the kingdom, and he wants to plant us where he chooses, and he wants us to bear fruit for him. That can only be done, of course, through salvation. That's the will of the Lord. It's as simple as that. Anything else that may be required, is anything outside of that or instead of that, is a fruitless effort. We're not saved by our works. We're saved by grace and by faith in Christ and by the blood of Jesus. Certainly good works are often a result but they're not a substitute for the genuine. 
You know, we're not called to judge, but we are called to discern. Matthew 7 says, A good tree can't bring forth corrupt fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. It tells us by their fruits, ye shall know them. We're not judges, but we can be fruit inspectors, and we're expected to be. We see the greatest difference really between the wheat and the tares is the type of fruit that they produce. The tares, when they produce their fruit and they come to maturity, they produce these tiny black seeds that are noxious and bitter. If they're ingested, they can cause nausea or dizziness, impaired vision. At times, if you take enough of it in, it can even be fatal. And the purpose of a tear is to corrupt and pollute the crop. Well, beware of the tares. The Word of God lets us know some of the characteristics of this type of fruit. Second Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5.33 says, Be not deceived. Evil communications, corrupt. Good manners, see that word deceive and corrupt. Be not deceived. Speaks about evil communications. Be careful what you say. Be careful what you listen to and who you listen to. You know, we think of evil communication as profanity or something filthy. Of course, that's part of it, but it's gossip and slander. It says, don't be deceived. If you partake of these things, you're going to be corrupt. It's one of those tears that can sneak in. Proverbs 6 gives us a whole list of things God hates. You know, when the Lord tells us things He hates, we want to pay attention. And in that list, verse 19, it says, one of the things God hates is a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. That is the fruit of a tear. Those that are going around, constantly stirring the pot, sowing discord, trying to sauce cause division. That's the purpose of a tear is to divide and corrupt. We want to beware of them. Hebrews 12, 14 and 15 says, follow peace with all man and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. That's the fruit of righteousness. But then he warns us, looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up trouble you and thereby many be defiled. Tears are bitter. They're full of bitterness. And if you partake in that bitterness, if you spend time indulging that and feeding on that, it says you're going to be defiled. Not only does it defile the one who's bitter, but all of those around. So we want to be beware of the tears. What do we do about them? It tells us we don't pull them up. That's God's job. They're allowed to grow alongside us. We know they're going to be surrounding us wherever we go. The Bible says that till the end. Romans sixteen seventeen says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which ye have learned, and avoid them. Mark them. Recognize who they are, what they are. If they're showing the characteristic of a terror, mark that. And it says, those that would cause divisions, avoid them. You know, we may be surrounded by them. We don't have to break bread with them. We don't have to hang out with them. We don't have to spend time on the weekends with them. It says avoid them. 
Do that for your own spiritual benefit and your own spiritual good. That's instructions in God's word. We need to protect what God has given us. Speaks about the fruit of the righteous. Philippians 1 verse 11 instructs us to be filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ. Only Christ can produce that good fruit in our lives. We know it's only Christ that can save us and plant us and make us children of the kingdom. And he gives us a description of what that fruit will look like. James 3.17, the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. The very first thing is it says it's pure. Only God can give us that pure fruit, that undefiled fruit, that uh, without hypocrisy. It's not a counterfeit. It's real and genuine. It's exactly what it appears to be. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith. So we can see one of the most obvious differences between the wheat and the tear is the fruit that they bear. What kind of fruit are you bearing this morning? What kind of fruit am I bearing? The Bible says that a man examine himself to see if he be found in the faith. It's a reminder we don't want to spend so much time picking out the tares and looking for the tares. We're to examine ourselves. And the Lord will sort them out. We want to make sure we are bearing good fruit for the kingdom. You know, the greatest difference of all between a wheat and a tare is right before harvest time. And if you ever see a picture of the two right as they've come to fruition and they've fully matured and they've bore all their fruit, the greatest difference is in their posture. The tear is rigid and stiff. It's unbending. It stands straight up. It won't bow or bend or yield the wheat, on the other hand, is so loaded down with fruit that it bends almost to where it touches the ground. You know what a contrast between the proud and the wicked. That's a contrast between the tear and the wheat. The tear will never bow. The tear will never yield. They'll never bend. They'll never submit. Oh, but the wheat, it bows uh, before the Lord of the harvest. The Bible says one day at the name of Jesus, every Knee shall bow. Every tongue will confess. At that point, it's going to be too late for the wheat. They're going to confess not Jesus as Lord and Savior, but Jesus as judge. Oh, but we want to make sure we avail ourselves of this opportunity this morning. If you're not saved, if you're not ready to meet the Lord, harvest time is coming. Harvest time, I believe, is upon us. We don't have time to fool around and wait. We want to be ready when the Lord of the harvest comes. We want to look to the Lord of the harvest. Look to Him this morning. Let Him plant you. Let Him transform you into a son of righteousness or a child of the kingdom and bear fruit where He plants you. The Lord can help you to do that. Again, the contrast between the two, the one will be cast into everlasting fire, but the wheat, it says the Lord will gather them together and will shine like the sun in the kingdom of God. What a hope that is. The Lord can plant that hope in your heart this morning. 
We know the Lord of the harvest, He's coming. It could happen at any moment, but we can be ready for that day. Let's sing 653, these altars are open.